If you happen to be driving on McRaven Road in Jackson, Mississippi, you might come across Buddy Butts Park. Yes, it is actually called Buddy Butts Park. But that's not exactly what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the fact that part of this park has this sort of strange post-apocalyptic vibe. There's a field of concrete that stretches nearly as far as the eye can see and undulates in odd organic shapes beneath your feet. What you might not realize is that as you walk across this concrete field, you are in a way striding from Louisiana to Minnesota, each step covering miles. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're visiting the Mississippi River Basin model, the greatest scale model ever built. One that only got a few years to truly shine. Why it was built, who built it, and the group trying to rescue it from oblivion. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If you took a walk, a really long walk, from Baton Rouge to Omaha, it's safe to say it would definitely take more than 60 minutes. In the real world, you'd have to be an enormous giant to do that. But at the Mississippi River Basin model, everyone's a giant. That's because the model squeezes 16 states, the parts of those states that are all connected to the Mississippi River, into a couple hundred acres of space. For reference, that's about the size of 150 football fields. The river basin model is a physical model, um, physical hydraulic model of the Mississippi River Basin. This is Sarah McEwen. And the reason she knows so much about this model is because she's trying to save it. It doesn't go to the headwaters, but it, it kind of stops at key points along the tributaries that um, the Mississippi River mainline would have had backwater impacts. So you have like Tulsa, Omaha, Nashville. These are all kind of key points that are the upstream reaches. And then you have those rivers that flow down until they um, converge, join the Mississippi, and then you have the Mississippi all the way down to Baton Rouge. About half a century ago, the city of Jackson, Mississippi, 
took it over from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. But by 1993, it was completely shut down, with no vision for its future. It was, it's in the middle of a park. So you have soccer fields, you have go-kart track, you have mountain biking trails. Um, but to my knowledge, besides kind of mowing it initially to keep the trees and vegetation contained, that was really all that was done. I don't necessarily know if the, if the thought was there that this could be something. So the River Basin model sat there dormant for decades. Eventually, it was forgotten. It became a kind of secret. We had a deputy park director. He came out and he said, I had no idea this was here, like in the middle of his park. So it may have just been kind of, it's, it's just so hidden. So unless you were from Clinton in the time when that area around the model was still mowed um, and you saw it as you went to a soccer game, you probably didn't, you probably just slowly faded from memory. Sarah, in her day job, is a bit of a water modeling expert. She works for an international engineering firm. The River Basin model is directly connected to the work that Sarah does today, which is really important and fairly technical. But simply put, she studies the flow of water, in part to keep communities who live near the water safe from floods. And in 1942, that was the exact same goal of the Mississippi River Basin model. Nearly a century ago, the United States saw the most destructive river flood in its history, the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927. The flooding stretched from Illinois all the way down to Louisiana, and in one part of the Mississippi, the river stretched 80 miles wide. The disaster took the lives of approximately 500 people, and it displaced hundreds of thousands. Herbert Hoover called it the greatest peacetime calamity in the country's history. It ended up costing the feds about a third of their budget, more than a trillion dollars in today's terms. So the Army Corps of Engineers built a bunch of levees up and down the Mississippi River. But then, just 10 years later, it flooded again. The problem was just too big to understand. So when Lieutenant Eugene Raybould proposed an idea that would allow the Army Corps of Engineers to actually see what was going on, to understand the problem, they went for it. They wanted to have this model, because um, it's important to know that if you construct something here, are you having unintended consequences somewhere else? Whether that's driven by the flooding conditions, whether that's driving the low flow drought conditions, whether that's having environmental impacts, are you reducing access for fishermen? So there's a lot of things that go into it. So this physical model in a time before computers was a great way to kind of fully encompass, see the impacts to the watershed. Just a few years after that second big river flood, the location for the river model was acquired. And the site was actually next door to a prison of war camp. In 1943, when the construction began, um, a lot of the earthwork and subsurface drainage systems were built by the prisoners of war that were housed at Camp Clinton. 
there's some interesting stories from the locals in Clinton about interacting with with the prisoners of war and escapes and things like that. But they were given it was it wasn't mandated that they do this. They were they were paid in canteen script to do this work. The engineers who worked on this model were tasked with the, the difficult project of figuring out what had happened in those previous floods in the hopes of preventing future ones. So to start, they laid down materials which mimicked the physical terrain of the Earth. And then to simulate rainfall, and they used um, inflow controllers. And there were hundreds of inflow controllers throughout the model. Because if you think about it, it doesn't always rain uniformly across the entire U.S. all at the same time, all at the same intensity. So you could program um, kind of using the same technology as automatic piano players where they're re-simulating or, or calibrating maybe a historic event. Sarah said that after plenty of testing, they started to see just how accurate this model was proving to be. They matched within um, tens of feet of recorded data. So they felt pretty confident that as far as historic events, um, they were getting the same results. Once they felt confident about the model's accuracy, they could start running theoretical situations. They'd play out different severe rainfall scenarios and respond. This helped them see some of those unintended consequences of flood mitigation. They finally had the bird's eye view that they needed to achieve their goal. What's going to resolve the issue with the least amount of impact to our citizens and those that were called to protect? Um, so I would say it's kind of, it had to be an incredibly difficult job to not only, not the, the modeling part probably was really fun to kind of troubleshoot and problem solve. I feel like that's the heart of engineering, but then to, to say with confidence to someone that's going to have to operate those floodways. Yes, I am 100% confident this will resolve your issue. That had to be an incredibly difficult decision. And I know it can't be taken lightly by anybody that uses any of this information even today to make those decisions. Like, I don't think anybody takes, takes those decisions lightly. Sarah, a Mississippi transplant, first learned about the model while brainstorming with some of her previous colleagues about community projects. At first, they were talking about helping neighborhoods get bike lanes or running trails. Then um, someone else mentioned, well, in our own backyard, we have this really cool historical uh, river basin model. And we're, we're like, what is that? Like, that's I'm not from the this, this state, so I had no idea. But then the more people you talk to in the area, they said, oh, yeah, I remember when I was a teenager, I went out there or, yeah, my dad used to work for the Army Corps and worked out there. And then they told the story of Camp Clinton, the prisoner of war camp and how the model was built. And we were like, well, this is just too cool. Let's at least go during lunch one day and go visit the site. And that's how Sarah and the friends of the Mississippi River Basin model found it. What started as a cleanup day turned into a nonprofit organization with some big goals of its own. Well, we're hoping, you know, if we could ever get a portion of the model kind of restored, maybe not to scientific calibration, but we would like to do the Mississippi Delta. We'd like to be able to have like a pump and water system where we could just run water through the Mississippi Delta, which is obviously close to our heart being so nearby. Um, but just to show 
what it looks like once the water overtops the levee um, at those locations. Completely theoretical and again, not scientific, but just to, to physically apply what the model used to do so they could see it. In a perfect world, Sarah says they'd have enough money for a science center for kids to engage with engineering software and actually work with the model in action. Both my parents being engineers, I was extremely blessed to have the type of upbringing that challenged my thought, that never said I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. I just want to give children that don't have the same resources and privileges I have access to the engineering concepts. The way that this is a model, but it's also a map, I feel like we could really help put forth like geographic literacy. I feel like we don't always have the connection between where we're at and our geological and our physical features. There's also a real need in the community for access trails and parks that are for everybody. The Friends of the Mississippi River Basin model are making a lot of headway on that goal. They've cleared trails that you couldn't even see before. So you just have to be kind of careful or stick to the buffer cleared area around the model that we've 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 kind of tried to maintain. Um, but really, if if the park is open dawn to dusk, the model's open. So you can feel free to go out and explore. And they want you to come explore like a giant striding across the Mississippi River Basin from Omaha to Baton Rouge. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Jordan Bell. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Chilenya Onike, Maddie Weinberg, Camille Mojica, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall, and I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you all next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. 
Join us wherever you listen.